Christ is risen. risen Christ is risen. Awesome. I get to say that uh, maybe for a month or so more uh, before it gets old. Um, then I'll go back to God is good. Amen. Uh, <laughs> God is good <laughs> all the time. Awesome. Um, our scripture today comes from John 20, 19 through 31. And this is post-resurrection Jesus um, meeting with his disciples. John 20, 19 through 31. I'm reading from the NIV version. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them saying, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. When he said to Thomas, put your finger, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word, and thank you for this body gathered together here um, to worship you, um, to surround your word, um, to soak in um, one another's fellowship, and the truth that you have for us through your Holy Spirit. Um, through your son and his saving work and plant a seed in each of us, plant a seed in this church um, that will grow into something beautiful in your name. Amen. So we're beginning a new, uh, we're in the time, this is the second Sunday of Easter. So we're in Easter tide, which basically means the season of Easter. And this is the second Sunday of Easter, which I said. Um, and we're starting kind of a new mini-series called Embody. Embody. And it comes, around, it comes out of this scripture. Um, it's inspired by this scripture. Um, as I was reading this and reflecting on it um, a couple weeks ago, I was... The thing that strikes me, that really sticks out in this passage is 
Wait a second. The resurrected Jesus has wounds in his side and the scars on his hands, right? Like, if you think about it, what does that mean that the resurrected Jesus is touchable, is physical, and still retains his scars from the crucifixion? What does that mean theologically? And what does that mean because it happens in the midst of this interaction with the disciples where he's sending them out into mission. He's sending them out into ministry. So what does it mean theologically and what does it mean missiologically, which is a fancy word for saying our witness, you know, our evangelism, our mission out in the world. Because you would think, whoa, God of the universe, victory over death, perfection, right? So he should come back glowing and like smooth skin, oil of a lay, like no, no dry skin, no chafing, nothing. Like just, you know, bright Jesus. After all, there was a shining white, two shining white angels at the tomb, right? But Jesus has his wounds. And how tactile is it? It's almost, if you really think about it, like Thomas is a really morbid man, right? It's like, I'm not going to believe until I actually get to touch his side wound. If you remember, he was speared on the side, right, by a soldier. I want to touch your gashing wound, and then I will believe. It's so physical. And I think this is significant to our faith. Like, what does it mean that the resurrected Jesus retained his scars from the crucifixion? Embody. Embody. So that's where uh, the inspiration for this series comes from. I think Christians can oftentimes be disconnected from the physical world because we cling to a disembodied vision of spirituality. A disembodied vision of spirituality. But Jesus sends his disciples into the world both having had them touch his physical body and he also in this passage breathed the Holy Spirit on them. So there is this element of the spirit, but there's also this very physical flesh and fleshed um, piece of this passage. Um, what does it mean? And I think for us, the example is set that we're meant to embody our faith, embody our spirituality, and then be sent into the world to be like, here, look at me. Look at us. Here, touch us, see us, and experience who Jesus is and what Jesus' love is all about. Are you with me, church? Amen? We cling, we tend to cling to a disembodied vision of spirituality. What do I mean by that? Right? You know, being young, growing up in uh, the Southern Baptist tradition and going to church... You know, I, I always, in Sunday school, I always, we always talked about heaven and hell. And, you know, my dad was a Korean preacher, so oftentimes, you know, the spit would be flying and, you know, he'd be yelling in his sermons and, you know, not hellfire and brimstone, but like, you can tell, like, you know, 
right? Judgment is coming, you know, and, you know, I never yell when I preach, but, <laughs> but that cadence, and, you know, you'd watch, uh, or you read those books, those left behind books, right? And we watch uh, The Day After. Uh, you, you know the left behind books, right? That talk about the end of the world and rapture and, you know, I think there were even movies made and played by Kirk Cameron as the main character. And, you know, you get, you know, when the rapture comes, this person would be taken up and disappeared. And this person will remain. Will you be the one that remains and gets left behind? Right? This kind of... uh, And so my picture of heaven was, you know, after I die, my soul kind of like floats up to heaven, right? And um, And then you live forever in eternity with God. And then around college, I began to be like, that's not an existence I want. Like, why would I just want to float? What does that look like? What does that feel like to float in the celestial skies and heaven, this nebulous thing that I can't even, infinite thing, an eternal thing that I can't even imagine or comprehend? Like, what's good about being disembodied like that as a Casper the ghost, right? floating around forever, haunting people. Boo, boo. Um, but this passage kind of, you know, as I studied this, um, grow, uh, you know, getting older, it impressed upon me the uniqueness of why does it matter? Right, that we're on earth. Why does my life matter right now? Like if heaven is so good, why don't we just all wait till we get there? Right? Let's just sit around and wait. Right? Sing praise songs and wait. Um, why would I want to love my neighbor? Why would I want to even witness to my neighbor? Maybe because... I mean, the one reason why is like, you know, kind of the lifeboat analogy, right? Like, the end, the end of the world is coming, so get as many people as you can into the lifeboat, right? People's souls need to be saved because the world is going to burn. And actually, this disembodied spirituality, uh, spirituality like the, we are disconnected as Christians from the physical realm, from the, from the physical flesh, and everything of the flesh is bad, it's actually the reasons why Christians have been a part of perpetrating the destruction of creation, right? Because every, if everything is going into hell and the handbag and going into the fiery flame, then what matters? Why do those trees matter? Why does the environment matter? Why do those people over there matter? Amen? It doesn't matter because... It's all going to burn up and it's bad. Why does my body matter? Why do I need to take care of my body? You know, and there's other things attached to that. Like sexuality and how we deal with the opposite sex or our own sexuality. Like, oh, it's ugly. It's gross. It's to be avoided. It's to be shut. You know, it's not actually a gift. That's God. That God is given in the context of marriage. I have to add that just to be sure. Um, but do you do you see what I'm saying? And actually, you know, 
the images uh, in the Bible about heaven and the afterworld, um, a lot is talking about new heaven and new earth, right? In the day that's coming, God is going to renew heaven and renew earth, right? It's not like this destruction of everything and fire. It's actually the renewal of all things. Doesn't that, it's scriptural. Doesn't that like change how you kind of view things? We're not like waiting on a boat for heaven to come and for God to sweep down in a chariot and take me into work to the world over there. My life matters. And that's what the embodied resurrected Jesus does for me. Amen. Right? He's saying, touch me. Feel me. Then you can believe. Then you can trust. Touch me. Feel me. Believe and trust in me. See? See my hands? See, Thomas? Right? Touch me and send and be the body out there to the people out there so that they can touch and they can feel you. And we see this idea confirmed in other things that Jesus says, right? When you love the least of these, when you love the poor, when you clothe the naked, when you visit the prisoner, you do this what? Unto me. There's this very tangible relational aspect of things. You know, uh, my kids, it's funny. My kids always make fun of me because I try to be cool and relevant and funny. And they're like, they always humble me because they say, you're not cool. You're not relevant. Even my youngest, even my youngest is like, dad, you're such a boomer. I think she gets that from my eldest. Uh, <laughs> you're such a boomer or you're a noob, right? Like I tell a joke or I'm like, I try to do, you know, the floss, right? Isn't the floss kind of in? It's not popular. Yeah, sorry, sorry. I try to do the floss and they're like, no, don't stop it. Stop doing that. You're just not relevant anymore. And when I think about it, my ministry career, maybe that's why I left campus ministry because I aged out. I had aged out and I didn't want to do the middle management thing, like climb the ladder. So I was like, I either like, you know, a, be like irrelevant here, like the uh, creepy old man, or I like change my job, you know? So I was like, okay, I got to go to the church. Um, <laughs> um, why was I saying that? So it's challenging. You know, it's, <laughs> it's challenging to find ways to connect, right? To connect with the next generation. And I wonder like, you know, what do I have to do to, you know, interest my children or get them to laugh at me or like me? Um, but the thing is, there's nothing compared to embodying our faith and our values and our belief systems and our relationship with Jesus Christ. To go a little further with this idea, every time the word believe is written in this passage, is read in this passage, it comes from the Greek word believe, pisteuo, pistu. <laughs> I gotta catch up on my Greek. Uh, 
pistuo, which is translated believe, but it's actually that word is closer to trust, right? And now let's take a look at that. What's the difference between believe and trust? What's the difference between believe and trust? When I hear believe, and this is what I felt growing up in the church is, oh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So I would have those prayers. I believe in you. I believe in you, God. Right? It's this cognitive thing. What does it mean to believe in God? Yes, I believe that God is real. I believe Jesus is real. I believe Jesus died for his sins. And you may have even prayed the prayer, right? God, forgive me for my sins. Jesus, I believe you're the Christ. You died on the cross for my sins. I believe. And that's what I have to do to be saved. And that's what our culture is used to in terms of how we interact with one another, right? Everything is a knowledge base. Everything is kind of on the cognitive level. I have knowledge of this. I, even, even as a pastor, I feel, you know, the pressure. Like, what, I, what it means to be a pastor and up here preaching is that I know everything there is about the Bible, Right? And my, my expertise of the Bible and the tenets of the faith is what gives me authority to speak. And I need to have an answer ready for when people ask me those weird questions like, what happens when we die? Or what happened to this prophet or that prophet in this book and that book? I don't know. Right? Like, they didn't teach me in seminary. Actually, I didn't read that book in seminary. I'm just kidding, but yes, all of that is important. Studying your Bible, having knowledge. But it's more than knowledge. What Jesus is implying, what Jesus is demonstrating and modeling is, it is a relationship with me. Touch my hands. Touch my side. And he breathes on them. It's very intimate. And so if we look at the word believe as more than believe, but trust? How is that different, right? Believe in something versus believe in somebody or believe in God versus trusting in God. Right? Trust implies that every day you're leaning on that person, right? Every day I give my life over to God. I give my worries, I give uh, my direction, I give my journey, the choices I make, right? my fears, my wants, my needs, my relationships. I'm trusting that God is with me, he's present with me as I walk this walk, as I experience this craziness, as I experience crisis. It's so much more than knowledge, amen, than knowing facts about things. It's much more about intimacy and trusting in Jesus. Let's go deeper into this. The other thing, what else do you see on the evening of the first day of the week? So it's Monday, 
right, after the resurrection or Sunday, uh, the disciples are together. And what does it say? It says, with the doors locked and closed for fear. Their doors are locked. They're on the DL, right? They're kind of in hiding because things are hot right now. It's heated. Jesus has just been crucified. And there's kind of this, you know, witch hunt, if you will, for his followers. And they're afraid that the leaders are going to come find them, arrest them, and the same thing's going to happen to them. And so they're under persecution and the shadow um, of persecution. So they're behind locked doors, which is repeated again later, a week later. They were in the house again, even after they spoke and saw Jesus. Um, they were with Thomas this time, though the doors were locked, it says. So even after they met Jesus, they still feared. They still had the doors locked. They were still in the shadows. They were still in hiding. Right? Raise your hand. Just because you believe in God, you believe in Jesus Christ, you're a follower of Christ. Just because this happens, or do you still feel doubt and fear in your life? Right? Does anyone not feel doubt or fear? But you believe, don't you? God is good. God is all-powerful. God is amazing. Christ is risen. Why do you fear? Why do you doubt? Because we need that every day, just like our children need affirmation day after day. I love you. I love you. You're safe. You're safe. We need those same things as we walk because it's not just about, again, the knowledge and the cognitive kind of belief that God exists, that Jesus exists. It's the daily interaction and the journey as we face crises in our life, that we need God to come and encourage us. We need Jesus in our life to say, it's going to be okay. Or I am with you. Look, touch me. Listen to me. Hear me. I walk with you. So in your doubts and your fears, and that's another piece that I think we need to kick out of the church, right? Growing up, it's like, oh, if I'm a good Christian, if I'm a faithful Christian, I shouldn't have doubt. I shouldn't have fear. I should always have confidence. My dad and I have this, he's, my dad is a pastor as well, and we have this constant disagreement, right? He's like, if you were going to be, you know, I'll say, oh, I don't know about being a pastor. He's like, if you received the call to be a pastor, you should be sure forever, right? That's a clear call. Yes, I, and I'd be like, yes, at once I had a clear call, but I doubt sometimes, or I struggle sometimes. He's not, no, then you weren't called, you know? Like, we'd go through this stuff, and it's like, nah. I doubt if I'm honest with myself, I'm afraid. <coughs> but as I, as I grow in relationship and intimacy with Jesus Christ, and I begin, like, 
I, I begin to trust lean a little more at different points in my life. I kind of put my bets on Jesus that my, my, uh, my taste for living dangerously in the kingdom increases, if that makes sense. Right? Oh, you know, like, I don't know if I want to take that step. That's scary, God. That's like, I got to pay my mortgage. I've got kids to support. You want me to do what? But the more I lean into him as he's speaking into me, the crazier I get, right? And that's, that's the walk of faith. And so I actually love Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas, right? But I think it, he's a key figure in this passage. And for us, even though Jesus does say it's better to believe without seeing, okay, for all of you, like, a straight-A students of the Christian faith, you can, you know, believe without seeing. But Thomas, like the beauty of this passage is Jesus gives him what he needs. <laughs> Amen? I'm not going to trust unless I see it for myself. I'm not going to trust until I touch that wound. Right? I don't care what you say. I don't care who you are, Peter. Right? Whatever. You think you're all that, you know everything. You're like one of the three disciples. <laughs> you know, we should take your word for it. I'm not built like you. My personality is different. I'm rational. I'm a realist. I'm logical. I'm tangible. I need to see it before I believe it. And Jesus doesn't say no. You just got to believe. You know, psh, 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 psh. he says, okay, look at my hands. Look at my sides. What does that mean? What does that mean? That even in our doubts and our questions, God is gracious and merciful to us. And he's willing to go to those places with each of us, right? the dark places because we spend too much of our lives putting on fronts, right? Like whether it's perfectionism or whether that's putting on um, the front that we're competent at what we do or we're in control of whatever we're doing or we're not too vulnerable that it's freaking people out but that we put on our fronts of strength, our facades. No, but God wants to see all of our hearts. Right? He wants to go there with you, and he does, he does go there with you where you distrust and you doubt. Are you with me, church? What does this mean, then, that Jesus breathes on them and sends them out for the forgiveness and sins and to love and be witnesses in the world. This passage, this image where Jesus breathes on his disciples. Peter's, <laughs> Peter's like, are you breathing the Holy Spirit or are you breathing on us halitosis? Halitosis or the Holy Spirit? Like, what are you? Okay, that was a joke. <laughs> right? And people, Jesus like, I'm glad I brushed my teeth. Like, <sighs> It's just very like, 
weird. If you think about it, if you imagine what happened. <sighs> and this kind of reminds us the echoes of Genesis 2-7, right? When God breathes his spirit into humans and gives life, right? He breathed life into human beings and gave them life, right? Jesus breathed his spirit on them. And then our passage ends, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That whole piece about forgiveness, right? Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. There's something about the Holy Spirit and forgiveness, right? You have the, the whole other passage. If you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, the only sin that's not forgivable is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. There's something, there's a forgiveness of sins and the Holy Spirit. There's some side of, sort of connection I'm not going to go fully into it, but I think it's a mystery. Um, but also, Jesus, right, the Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were angry when Jesus healed people and forgave their sins, right? Who gave you authority to for, forgive people, to forgive sins? And the beauty here is when Jesus sends out his disciples, breathes the Holy Spirit on them, he is giving them the authority to give, forgive sins. And by extension and connection, as we go out or are sent by Jesus, we have the ability, the authority, and the power to forgive sins. Are you with me, church? And you really think, oh, that's too much of responsibility. That's too much authority. But it's actually... What humans do, right? Like how beautiful and powerful it is to extend grace to people. When we've had grace shown to us, how powerful was that? How powerful of a witness is grace? And Jesus performs all of these signs and more signs, right? That's not even written. He kept doing it. He, he kept healing people. He kept touching people for a little while before his ascension. And he kept modeling and being an example of loving people tangibly, of forgiving sins, of touching people. And he's, I think, showing his disciples, this is what it means to embody the kingdom of God. This is what it means to embody faith. It's to go and love and forgive and touch and let others touch you. I think the letting others touch you as well is really important. Sometimes in the church, we're like, let us help those people down there or over there. Let us give to you. When sometimes... You know, if it's a relational thing, it's the giving and it's the receiving. 
allowing others to love us, allowing others to touch us, being with one another, connecting with one another. I'm really onto this relational intimacy, being and connecting, just because I'm, you know, reading Brene Brown right now, and it's just in my head, like, the open-hearted, the wholehearted life, be open, be vulnerable. And I see this in the gospel. I see this in scripture. I see this in the way that Jesus taught and interacted with the disciples. It was so much more than, right? Our faith is so much more than morality or ethics. Amen? It's more than just morality or ethics or ways, you know, good practices to live by. It's see his hands and his feet and go and love as Jesus loves. Are you with me, church? Jesus sends his disciples into the world, both having touched them and breathed his spirit on them, giving them authority and empowerment from heaven. He tells them to trust in him more than just believe with their head, but trust with your life and your emotion and your heart and your soul. Be with me because I will be with you. Do you trust that? How does it change the way we live? How does it change the way we read this passage if we substitute believe with trust? Trust in Jesus. Faith is trust in Jesus more than the mere recognition of him. And so the question I leave with this is when Jesus finds his disciples post his crucifixion, they're behind locked doors, hidden away in a room. How have you been behind locked doors? How have we as a church, a body, been behind locked doors in hiding and afraid? I mean, there's the obvious COVID, right? But how have we been hiding, waiting in doubt or fear, unknowing of the world out there? And in what ways is God's Jesus saying to you, go, go with my spirit, go having known me, go because I'm risen indeed. And live the resurrection life. What does it look like to live in the resurrection life? Let's take a moment to reflect on that. God, we trust in you. Help our distrust. The places of doubt, uh, places of fear, um, where we're unsure of ourselves, where we waver. Give us a taste of your grace and mercy, a piece of you, um, a word from you, an encouragement from you, someone's the, the face of you. Um, in someone else's face. 
in an embrace. I know for me, I need things to be concrete sometimes, um, not just in my head or in ideas, not just, you know, spiritual things or ideas, but I need you to touch me. I need you to direct me. Um, so show me your hands. Let me touch your side. Um, so do that for all of us this week so we can be emboldened and empowered by who you are and also by the Holy Spirit upon us. Send us out empowered and encouraged, redeemed in the resurrection life. In your name.